Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc, on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about our church or to support us financially, visit newgrace.cc. Take your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Speaking of church, let's talk about the church this morning. Now look, today turns a corner in my preaching. I'm going I'm to preach to the church today, and after we're done preaching to the church, I believe the Lord's opening the door for me to get into some things that are going to get a little more personal. And, 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 a, and a, little, a little more intrusive, and I mean that in a good way, intrusive into our spiritual walk in relationship with God. And I'm really looking forward to some things that we're getting to preach through in January. So today I want to talk to the church. If you're saved, then you know it. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 19. Paul is writing a letter to us, the church, and he says, Now therefore... Ye are no more strangers and foreigners, thank God, but fellow citizens with the saints. Whenever Paul is addressing believers, he uses the word saints. So when you hear the word saints, stop thinking, stop, stop thinking about everybody that's archived and the, 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 the antiquity of Catholicism. And don't think necessarily about, about you know, old granny women with beehive hairdos and, and dresses down to the floor. Listen, we're not talking about Mother Teresa. When we say saints, he's talking about people who are believers of and in Christ. He says, and we're of the household of God. Now, I want you to look at verse 20. And we are built. I want you to underline that word word built. We're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, underline that, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are, here it is again, builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Write this down. This is my title. I want to talk to you about how God builds a church. All right, I want to talk to you quickly about how God builds a church. Now, what is the first thing you think of when you hear the phrase, build a church? I know what everybody thinks of. When they hear the phrase, build a church, they're thinking of a construction project. They're thinking of an excavated property that is being cleared off and prepared for the construction of a building. Or they're thinking about what's happening in commerce right now, where it's undergoing a revitalization or a remodel. A lot of you think of what you saw here about how when you came on the property, there were no working bathrooms and we had to go out there to the the little glorified luxury bathroom trailer that we had sitting right here, which was real interesting in January and February when it was freezing outside. You think of those kind of things. You 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 think of construction, you think of remodels, you think of projects. Yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, I will build my church. And I believe that we've been taught over the years that church is not a matter of parcels or property, it's people. And I, I, I like what Paul does. Paul is so analogical and so metaphorical. He's a very illustrative guy. And so Paul, Paul does a great job of helping you and I connect 
to what he's trying to say. And he always gives us some kind of visual analogy. He talks about the church being like a body. Christ is the head, we're the body. He talks about how Christ is the groom and we are the bride. And then he says that we are in Ephesians 2, the church is a building. And when he says that the church is a building, he goes on to describe the attributes and the characteristics of what this building looks like. Ladies and gentlemen, I have read a lot of books. I've watched a lot of tutorials. I've been to workshops, seminars, and conferences where the main objective and all those things, where pastors were the audience, people talked about how to build a church. I've heard so many, right? These seven things will make your church grow these seven things, if you'll do these 10 things, or if you'll take these things, if you'll do these three things in your church, you can double your attendance in 24 months. I've heard all of that stuff over the years. And, and I, there's one thing I want you to understand. Ladies and gentlemen, I, you, we are not the architects of building a church. We are not the architects. We are not the ones responsible for the design of, of the church. And so it's not a matter of we're supposed to be the ones building the church. God is the one that is building his church. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost even tells us in verses 46 and 47 that it was God who built the church. Look at this. They continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And so quickly, very quickly, I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. I'm going to get there, okay? I want to show you three, just three essentials that Paul outlined on how God built the church. Are you ready? Write this down. Number one, God founded the church. He founded the church. And the idea of God founding the church is where we get a foundation for this building. Verse 20, he says that the church has been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, when they laid a foundation, they didn't pour concrete. What they did is whenever they laid a foundation, they started with something called a cornerstone. A cornerstone was the largest rock and it would be the primary, and it would be the very first stone laid. They would lay stones for a foundation. A cornerstone was the largest, and it went in the corner of the foundation. The cornerstone was used to set the order for all the other stones. So it was laid first. He says Jesus is the foundation of the church. Then he says there are other stones, apostles and prophets. If you look through the book of Acts and you look at these realities mirrored in Paul's writings, you will see that after Jesus died, buried, and rose again, God utilized the work of apostles and New Testament prophets to create a foundation in which he would build his church. Much of what you read in the book of Acts is God laying a foundation. And after he lays a foundation with Christ, the apostles, and the prophets, God doesn't just found the church. We're already at point number two. You ready? God framed the church. Notice what it said. It says that all, go to that verse that I've got with frame. Look what it says. In whom all the building fitly framed together 
groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord. All the building fitly framed together. So you've got the foundation. Now you start adding a frame. And the frame is who? The frame is the people that God builds the church with. Stay with me. I'm teaching you something right now. He starts with a foundation. Then he begins to put the frame in place. I wrote this down. I wrote this down. Are you ready? The frame is believers because people are the pieces that God builds with. The frame is built and established when all the, pe- when all the pieces start getting connected together. That's what God's been doing. He's been getting the frame in place. He's been getting all the people attached, all the people constructed, all the people connected together. And this is what gives the building three things. It gives the building structure. A church is supposed to have structure. It's supposed to have the ordained and appointed leadership. It's supposed to be surrounded. A church is supposed to be surrounded with something called eldership. A church is then structured with people in the, pro- in the proper offices and gifting and operating in the, pr- in the proper callings. And then it's made throughout the framework of the church body and membership. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. There is no Christian in this room who is meaningless to what God's building. It doesn't matter if you, can't, if you can't speak publicly. It doesn't matter if you don't have the ability or the gifting to lead in worship. You may be somebody that is meant to use your servant's heart in places of shadow and serve the Lord from behind the scenes. Listen to me. You are just as meaningful to the framework as the people who are in the spotlight on the platform. I need a witness right there. The frame is what gives the church structure. It's also what gives the church support. The frame is what holds it up, okay? It gives it its support. I, here's something that's dear to my heart, all right? Because we're venturing into water that a lot of churches that you and I have been a part of or that you and I are familiar with have never been. We are one church in two communities, and to honor that, we are going to have two campuses. Here is something very dear to my heart. This is not the first time you're going to hear me say it, but I'm going to say it today and establish a premise. You are to be a supporter of your church, not your campus. Because if you, if, you get, if you get so campus-oriented, I'm not talking about where you attend, but if you get so campus-oriented, you're going to be blind to the realities that you are actually part of a greater thing called a church rather than divided entities. We're over here, they're over. There ain't no they. It's a we thing. We are all one body. We are all one bride. We are all one building. And it just so happens that God never asked our permission or our opinion on how he was going to build our church. And God did things in a reverse order that we did not ask for. And that's the beautiful thing about sovereignty. You get on the other side of something, you look back at it and go, man, I had no idea what God was doing. I didn't even know God was doing that. But I'm so thankful that he did not ask me what to do. And he took matters into his own hands. The last time I checked, we didn't die for the church. We didn't rise for the church. We didn't redeem the church. Last time I checked, he bought it and he paid for it. And if he bought it, he can Build it. Amen. And I, I want you to understand, as the framework, we are all connected to a greater objective that could never be tied to a zip code. Amen. The church is given its framework and its structure and its support, but the frame also gives it strength. 
It, it, it's, not that, it's not that a piece of wood or timber does a lot on its own, but buddy, when you start putting it together, when, when people start getting nailed together, when you, when you drive them into, you, I'm going to tell you something, a unified church is a force that hell cannot reckon with. A unified, in fact, everything you see God pour out in the New Testament church all started when unification. Acts 2 was the answering, the, here we go, Acts 2 was the initial answering of Jesus' prayer in John 17. Jesus prayed for us to be one, and only the, only the spiritual building can be one while still in two different places. See, God framed the church. But then Paul says God filled. Write that down. God filled the church. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm about to learn you something good right here. You ready? God filled the church. Notice what it says. In whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. I'll read that again. In whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Here's a thought. You ready? God built the church for himself. Here's another way of saying it. God filled the church with God. <laughs> uh, when you built a house, you built it for yourself. God built a house, a building, a temple, a place of habitation where he would occupy, where he would dwell, where he would live, where he would reside. Ladies and gentlemen, I wrote this down. The building called the church is not to accommodate us. It's not even to accommodate the lost. The church was built, according to Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the church was built to accommodate God. It's his house. He wants to live in it, dwell in it, abide in it. It's his. It's made by him. It's made for him. And God wants to fill the building of the church with his spirit. I've taught you this individually. Your body is the temple. You're the house. You're the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. I've also taught you this out of Ephesians 2. You may not even know known that I was referencing Ephesians 2 the whole time, but you're not just individually the place where God lives lives collectively. Paul says in verse 22, we are the place where the Spirit of God inhabits. And the word spirit in the Greek, listen to me, the word spirit in the Greek is the word pneuma. Pneuma. And, and with this pneuma comes force and life and power. But the primary meaning behind the Greek word pneuma is wind or breath. I want you to see this now. I want you to see this now. The spirit that God fills the church with is called wind or breath. My mind goes back to Adam in the Garden of Eden when he was formed of the dust of the ground and he lay there a shell of what he could be and he was lifeless until the Lord God breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. When Jesus was in the upper room, and he appeared to his disciples on Easter Sunday afternoon, he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Do you know what my prayer is right now in this season? Lord, breathe 
on this church. Breathe, send your wind. I'm talking like, like, like wind catching sails. Like breath on hot coals. Like air inflating a balloon. Lord, breathe on new grace. I know it's not the most ideal day to get in the church mood. I know it's dreary and it's blah. And y'all came in here looking for me to get my little anointed pom-poms and cheer y'all up. But here's the difference between me and a lot of y'all. I didn't come in here to get full. I came in here to pour out because I was full before I pulled in. I didn't come in here holding my cup out saying, somebody bless me. No, I came in here ready to turn it up on somebody and be a blessing to somebody. Do I got anybody that came in filled up to the brim like David? My cup runneth over. I didn't come in here for somebody to ignite my praise. I came in here to turn it loose on somebody. I came in here to pray it down, to preach it down, to praise it down. Why? Because as an individual residency of God, I came in filled and prepared. That's the way we go to church. I want to change that kind of mindset. I'm going, I'm going to get filled up. You coming for the wrong reason. You're saved. You don't need to be coming here to get filled up. You need, to, you need to come here because you are filled up, and you're coming to pour out your best praise, your best offering, your best worship, your best honor, your very best to your King and your Lord. Amen goes right there. Here's my question. It's rhetorical. Don't answer out loud, but ponder it in your mind. Are we a spirit-filled church? Let me clarify, spirit-filled, not spirit-filled. Capital S, spirit-filled, not lowercase s, spirit-filled. I'm not, I'm not talking about no nirvana, team spirit. Is that team spirit or team spirit? Same thing. <laughs> team spirit. Boy, we see this right now on every Saturday in college football. People be making a fool of themselves. People, I mean, people, they, they go all in, buddy, paying the part, season passes, season tickets, whatever you call it. I mean, and, and, and boy, they get their whole world set up around Saturday and the football thing. People wearing jerseys. The team can't see them because they're sitting in the living room. The coach don't even know they exist. The organization's benefiting from the revenue, but you're sitting there with Cheetos in your lap and chicken wing sauce on your fingertips, making a fool of your flesh, screaming at a piece of, at a piece of furniture in your living room. That's called team spirit. I ain't talking about that kind of spirit. Listen to me. Listen to me. If the level of, if your commitment is only as sticky as the decal on your glass, that ain't the kind of spirit I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Christmas spirit. How many, how many other Scrooges do I have in the house? How many other Scrooges do I have? It's funny, it's just about all men. I'm a Scrooge. I am. I am. And I it and some of it, some of it's spiritual. Some of it's spiritual. Because I'm tired of Jesus getting robbed at Christmas time. 
I'm tired of him having to take a back seat somewhere and hide under the sleigh in the bag. At the same, don't get, don't get wrong. I'm not about going to some crazy soapbox, you know. But I'm just not a festive individual. Gift giving is not my primary love language. And I just, like, I don't care about the pumpkins. But when Christmas trees start crawling out while pumpkins, like, we barely had time to go full-blown white girl pumpkin spice latte, and all of a sudden now it's time for peppermint mochas. Like, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm just not a real, I don't have a Christmas spirit. That ain't the kind of spirit I'm talking about. I, and, and here's the other thing. What's even more scary in a biblical reality sense is not the idea of a team spirit or a seasonal spirit. It's the other kind of spirits that have infiltrated the church. It, it's, it's I, I, and I'm not going to make a whole sermon on this, but the New Age mysticism that's creeping into the building, the, 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 the strange fire that's crawling into the building, spirits, here we go, here we go, when, when the devil, when demons have more of your attention during a worship hour than the Holy Ghost does. I'm not talking about that kind of spirit. I'm talking about God himself breathing and bringing himself into the building of the church that he is constructing. Three things about a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled church is yoked with God's power. I'm going to preach this quickly. It's yoked with God's power. The early church was typified by supernatural spirit power. If you look in the book of Acts, there were things that happened at the hand of the Holy Spirit that would blow the mind of most denominationalists. There were things that happened at the hand of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that would make you and I ponder and wonder the creative working power of God in the New Testament body. The church was not associated with weak or anemic worship gatherings. It did not have powerless experiences. And I want to say something. 2,000 years ago, the church got yoked up with the power source. And 2,000 years later, it is still yoked up with the same power source in that that is the filling essence of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to get back to where we are plugged in to the raw source of power. A lot of churches are going through all the motions because they become unplugged. I don't want to ever be a part of a church that's turned on but unplugged. Lord, plug us in to the power, the power that changes lives and makes a difference. Lord, plug us into that. It's yoked with God's power. A spirit-filled church will yearn for God's presence. I like what Psalm 42 says. As the heart, the young deer, panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Oh, that we could live out the lyrics of that one song. There's no place I'd rather be 
that right here in the middle of where you are in your presence, Psalm 139, he is in front of me. He is behind me. He's on the left hand. He's on the right hand. He's below me. He's above me. There ain't nowhere I'm going tomorrow that God hadn't already been, and there ain't nothing in my past that God hadn't already checked out. I need somebody to help me go to church if you know that we have a God, a God whose presence should be yearned for. Boy, I feel an Aerosmith spirit coming on right now. I'm talking about not wanting to miss a thing. I'm talking about don't want to miss out when God shows out. That's probably one of the scary, that's probably one of the sobering and saddest stories that I've read in the New Testament is on the day of Jesus' resurrection, the women see him first. Boy, see, God's coordinated, ain't he? God's coordinated. He's like, I'm going to make sure the people they're going to talk about are going to see it. How do I spread the word? I'm saying that in a good sense. Y'all go, don't get, I'm not talking about the gossip train. I'm talking about the gospel train. He's like, I'm going I'm to make sure the right people know. And you know how the disciples were, man. They were all, they were on the struggle bus. And they went and gathered in what I believe is the upper room that they would later be in at Pentecost, and that says they had the doors shut, and they were assembled for fear of the Jews. I mean, look, they're like, hey, <laughs> we hang around with this guy. Look what happened to him. And now they're looking for the rest of his crew. And so they got the doors shut. They don't know what to think. It's been three days, three nights, they ain't seen him. And the Bible says that Jesus comes into the room. Now, Jesus is now operating in his glorified body. And in his glorified body, he is able to manipulate matter and dimensional properties that before he would have been limited to in a human body. But now he walks right into the room. And when he comes into the room, he says, don't be afraid. It's me. And then, and then the Bible says this, that he breathed on them. Here it is again. He breathes on them. And this is the initial indwelling of the Spirit in the disciples. This is not Pentecost. This is where he comes in and he says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And he breathes on them. And then one of the saddest verses you'll read in John's gospel says, but Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. I have FOMO. I read stuff like that and it gives me FOMO. Some of y'all ain't hip and you ain't with it and you don't know what I'm talking about. But FOMO is the fear of missing out. It is the fear of missing out. Ever since I got saved and I experienced God's presence, I started to develop the fear of missing out. Because look up here, you miss out when you miss out. I, I, I long for the day, and it's coming very soon, because I'm telling you, God's about to turn this boat in a direction, and it's going to take us through some waves and water that God's been getting us ready for for quite some time. But I long for the day where the yearning for God's presence takes precedence and priority over anything else. I'm talking about where we get so locked into the church service. You ever, you ever noticed how many people go to the bathroom? And there's somebody right now you've been holding it the whole time, and you were you were you were just about to get up 
to go relieve yourself. And now you're under conviction and constriction. I, it's, funny, it's funny to me. People can sit through a three-hour Martin Scorsese film in the theater, but they can't sit through 75 minutes of God's presence. You start, it starts getting thick up in the room, and God starts moving. I've, I've watched people go out to catch some air. Or go in the bathroom and hit a vape. Oh, yeah. Go in there, and it's like cherry-flavored smoke all up, in the, all up in there. I'm like, I know that in the air freshener we bought. Because you got to be 21 to purchase that joker. What, whatever happened to the thick presence of God being our primary desire when we come together? It gets our attention. I, listen to me. I ain't ever, I remember, I was just telling this the other night. I remember just 15 years ago when I was preaching in my 20s. I was no more I was actually just a lot stupider. I was I was as exciting, but just dumber. I didn't know what I was talking about. But I remember the driving force of our church being spirit-filled teenagers. They were the ones leading, and everybody else was following. The first three rows were nothing but teenagers. Young men surrendering to the will of the Lord over their life, turning from the ways of the world, turning from the lust of the flesh and turning from reputation and popularity. And now I have to compete with hours of TikTok and shorts and all these things. And the attention span of this generation is shot out and you put them in God's presence and they can't pay attention. It was just 15 years ago, they were leaning in. And now it's the other way around. The older people are the ones leading. And we're dragging the boat anchor of the next generation behind because there's no yearning. And maybe there's no yearning because they don't see anything at the house worth following. Maybe it ain't what's happening in this house. Maybe it's what's happening in yours or not what, what's not happening in yours. And I, I, long, I long for our church to get a yearning for God's presence where it is the driving force behind why we gather. One more. A spirit-filled church put it up there. I forgot what it is. We'll yield to God's pull. Everybody say pull. A spirit-filled church will yield to God's pull. Uh, here we go. The, the pulling of the Lord is what Paul would call being led of the Spirit. Here we go. A spirit-filled church should be a spirit-led church. I, I, would, I would like to think that we've been privileged to be a part of a spirit-led church. That when God, when God begins to pull, we begin to follow. Man, I can't tell you how awesome it's been over the last month and a half watching the pull of God happen in his presence. Watching, watching people dial up their sensitivity. Watching people want to pray, want to worship. There have been some people in this house, even here this morning, who have never publicly worshipped God. And you finally broke yourself in over the last five weeks. Some of you that have made more excuses and exceptions on why you didn't need to go down and get dedicated to the presence of God here in this altar. And for the first time in your life, you broke away from the comfort zone of your chair and you began to embrace Jesus at his very feet. 
I'm talking about the pull. A man does not come to know God except he be drawn. And I want to tell you, after salvation, the drawing only gets harder. It only gets stronger. It only increases. I am so thankful that after two decades, the pull of the Holy Spirit of God is still present in my life. It's still present in my marriage. It's still present in my home. It's still present in my church. God, I'm so thankful that I go to a church where you don't just show up, but you lasso the cold, hard heart, and you pull, you pull, you pull. Oh, a spirit-filled church will yield. They will allow God to have his way. I want God to pull us into Holy Ghost immersion. Where there's more of him and less of us. That's why we're bringing back, we're not going to call them Fifth Sunday or Fifth Wednesday, we're going to call them Revival Nights. When you do Fifth Sunday or Fifth Wednesday, you get eight a year. But if we do Revival Nights and we do one a month, we'll get 12 next year. I won't, I won't, uh, listen to me, I think God can do just as much on a Sunday morning as he does on a Sunday night, but I think there is something special and significant about us, listen, us choosing to make him a priority again, and I'm willing to walk you into it, honey, we'll just do one, just one a month, and I believe if we show up, he will. You know what? I take that back. He's going to show up regardless if you show up. But if I know he's going to show up, then I'm going to make it a priority because I want to see God pull our sons and daughters. I want to see God pull our broken marriages. I want to see God pull the next generation and future preachers, future pastors. I want to see God pull us into the immersion of his spirit. I want to see God pull us into Holy Ghost intercession. I can't remember who it was, but they told me here recently, they said, might have been one of y'all or somebody coming out of 11. They said, Sunday morning, you find out who loves the preacher. Sunday night, you find out who loves Jesus. So we'll do some prayer gatherings too. We'll just open the doors and come in here and pray and seek the Lord and follow the pool. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. New episodes are posted each week on Tuesday.